0: Pandemics and panic go hand in hand. But does one drive the other? Or is there something else at play? Last week, we talked with Mark Honigsbaum, a senior lecturer in journalism at City University of London. He wrote the book, The Pandemic Century, 100 Years of Panic, Hysteria and Hubris. It was quite the discussion. Now it's your turn to ask the questions, and you have sent in some great ones. And it's obvious that what concerns you isn't necessarily the disease itself, but our reactions to it. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro, and this is the Super Awesome Science Show SAS Class on Panic. Over the last century, we have faced several pandemics and close calls. What we have learned from these afflictions has been that humans tend to see the worst, and as a result, act irrationally or even intentionally unsafe as they deal with the spreading threat. Your questions seem to reflect this as I received none about the nature of COVID-19 or the virus SARS-CoV-2. Instead, they all seem to be focused on why we take certain measures that may, in retrospect, seem to be based on something other than evidence or logic or common sense for that matter. If you haven't listened to last week's show at Mark Honigsbaum, you may want to do that before we get into the questions. He gave us a whirlwind tour of the human reaction to a pandemic, including COVID-19. It was both fascinating as well as a little distressing. Class is now in session. Here's your first question. This is probably the most popular question we've had throughout the entirety of this show what was the deal with toilet paper
1: god knows i mean that was completely baffling to me um uh, i mean essentially i ba- i blame australians uh, who seem to have panicked first with the toilet paper and then it took off on social media And when people see something on social media they all rush out and do the same thing
0: so does that put a stigma on the australian people <laughs>
1: Uh well, in this case, maybe rightfully so. <laughs> no, I lo- I love us I love Australians. I mean we 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 saw this this everywhere. Um I don't know. I think I think you know, maybe think about it a bit more. Maybe it comes down to all those sort of Hollywood disaster films where, you know, people are facing nuclear Armageddon and they have their little sort of, you know, uh, Armageddon survival room and the, you, know, you go through a tick list and toilet paper's on that list.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's true, it absolutely is. Other than the rush on toilet paper, we have also seen a rush on unproven treatments. What I find so fascinating is that last week, we talked about treatments and the vaccines that are known to work, or they're going to be proven to work, but people may not trust them. And yet, we have these treatments that have absolutely no proof whatsoever of their effectiveness or may even pose a risk to somebody's health. And yet, they're being pushed by people. What is the deal with going after something that's unproven to try and solve a problem like COVID?
1: Uh, It's nothing more than wishful thinking. So I've had conversations like this time and again with friends who, you know, are educated and have been following things deeply. But they they say, well, you know, some French scientist says that hydroxychloroquine works. And I'll say, look, it's a small group. It doesn't really prove anything. We need more studies. But people look for the evidence that will support their prejudices because they just want to believe that this is the solution. You know, it's comforting, isn't it? They don't want to be told, no, science takes a long time and we'll only really know after we've done X number of studies.
0: We've heard about panic in a number of different situations when it comes to viruses and even bacteria. But there's one type of panic that has really made people curious – Now, this happened back in the 1990s, and it was the mad cow disease or the new variant creutzfeldt jakob disease. From your perspective, from what you have seen, what was going on there? Because in as much as the risk was very, very, very negligible, it nearly killed an industry. At least to me, it seemed like that fear was one of the biggest types of panic I've ever seen for... What could have been the least possible risk?
1: Yeah, I think several things came together very quickly. The idea of, you know, brain disease, these prions, uh, I think that was something new and, you know, lent itself very much to, you know, um, sort of Hollywood kind of horror scenarios, right? Your brain turning to mush if you ate a hamburger. But I think the other thing is the food security. Has become such a a massive um, industry, really, Um, and uh, I think what we saw then was, you know, as as it it wasn't very well handled initially by the British government, Uh, and then because there wasn't really a trust in whether our beef was secure, you very quickly saw boycotts and other countries suspending British beef exports. So I think that was, that was a salutary lesson. It's much better to be transparent and, and share the information and convince you know, your trading partners you've got it under control.
0: Speaking of under control, we managed to control the H1N1 pandemic back in 2009 to 2010, but we still have waves. I mean, we were on the 11th wave, and it might have been pretty bad if it wasn't for the fact that COVID came around. If you mention that nobody cares now about H1N1, even if we have this wave that's coming in, does that mean that when it comes to COVID, we're also going to sort of start to lose interest, not care so much, and eventually it's just going to be yet another part of a cold and flu season?
1: Yeah, no, I think that, that that's highly likely uh, with, you know, with the, the caveat that um People really are developing some sort of immunity that that's longer lasting than maybe a couple of months. Um, I, I think you know we probably will see that, and eventually will blend into the background and become you know just another annual seasonal uh, respiratory infection. But what struck me about this pandemic is um, the, the the general public have had a massive education in public health, but the hardest part of understanding infectious disease is immunology. And I just don't think people really get or understand immunology properly. And when you talk about swine flu and other influenzas, you know, people don't realize that we are, we are all, as children before the age of two, exposed to influenza. And that first exposure sets up our memory cell immune response for life. You're probably familiar with this idea of original antigenic sin. The idea that our immune systems are primed from childhood to recognize the first influenza we encountered, which is good as long as you continue to meet variants of that. But when there's a new pandemic virus, which your immune system is not primed for, that's when we need to start to worry. So I think that answers why we're not so worried about swine flu. It was related to the 1918 virus so there was a large proportion of population that had, you know, some sort of cross immunity. Uh, and now it's been circulating. A fair number of us uh, have been exposed. So there's pretty, quite a lot of herd immunity too. Presumably, eventually, we'll get to the same position with COVID.
0: You've been kind enough to offer your calm, soothing voice to help us reduce the panic that we have regarding COVID-19. Now, people can definitely read your book, and I, and I totally recommend that they do that. But are there any other places people can go to sort of help calm their nerves if they're feeling a little bit of that panic right now, whether it be about COVID-19 or anything else?
1: Uh, you know, I, I suppose it's a good question. Um, so I take comfort, actually, in literature about these situations. So one of my favorite books um, is Albert Camus' The Plague. Uh, and I think it's always interesting... Getting a sense of perspective on these emotional and social responses by looking at how a novelist treated that in a specific time and place, or be an imaginary time and place, but Camus novel, which is set in Oran, that was a real town on the north coast of Algeria, and the plagues had visited there. So I think that's that's one thing I would recommend. But of course, you know, I, I appreciate that there'll be a fair proportion of, of listeners who just want to escape anything to do with pandemics and infectious disease. Um, But I think this was a challenge for a lot of people. I think a lot of us, at least in the initial months, um, were unable really to concentrate on anything else but the news and what was going on because it was so all-consuming. And then interestingly, you know, um, or interestingly, you know, tragically, we had the uh, death of George Floyd in police custody. um, And then there was this massive awakening the Black Lives Matter movement just took off. And now what everyone's reading is to do with race and people want to read novels to do with this. So that's certainly what I've been reading as a way of escaping and, and thinking about other things, which are also really important. And this kind of comes back to the question you asked me at the beginning, why am I so interested? What, what is it about pandemics? Well, it's because they're stress tests for society. And they expose all the sort of dysfunctions that get papered over in normal times. And they also, I mean, COVID-19 has been revealing to us these huge inequalities in health suffered by certain ethnic groups. And we need to understand why that is. Uh, And one way to do that is, you know, to read about it, to read um, newspapers and other uh, other media you consume. But the other way is is to engage uh, through literature and to understand how people's identities actually shape their lives and their life experiences.
0: That concludes our questions for Mark Honingsbaum, but not the questions that you've asked. We actually have an email comment and question here from a listener, Laurie McKay. It seems to me that instead of terrifying the population, authorities ought to be attempting to calm the masses. People are beginning to become hysterical, and it is not helpful. Do you think perhaps that our government should provide more assistance and advice dealing with the actual illness in our homes and working to calm the masses instead of promoting and possibly even causing hysteria? That is an awesome question, and the answer is absolutely. We all know that good behavior, whether it's etiquette, respect, or hygiene, starts at the home. It's the best place to learn about how to protect ourselves, whether it's through wearing a mask, washing our hands, or learning how not to touch our faces. It's the perfect place to practice so that we get it right when we're out in public. After all, if everyone was perfect in their performance of hygiene, the virus would disappear. No lockdowns required. And there's an added bonus, should the virus make it inside your home, you'll know what to do to prevent spread, especially if you happen to live in an intergenerational household. But there's something else that can come from doing more inside the home to defeat this virus. And that is, you get some peace of mind. The calming. We let so much information into our home, social media, TV, radio, and those Zoom meetings. They can keep you in a state of despair that can lead to panic. And you have governments adding on to that every single day with press conferences and statistics and sometimes what looks like mixed messages. The thing is, is that when you're at home, especially if it's with someone you trust, not just virologically, but emotionally, you can turn off the world and just exist. We already know how good mindfulness can be. Just scroll down the list of episodes and you'll find it. Now you can use that to help yourself stay calm, even if the world outside is heading into hysteria. And I would love it if governments could help us with resources, links, information to help us deal with the panic, find the mindfulness within ourselves and with those who we love. And finally achieve a sense of calm at home. Because inevitably, if you're calm at home, it's going to be a lot less stressful when you walk outside your door. We have one final question that's sort of a catch-all from this episode as well as the airborne and mask episodes from earlier this season. I love those. You might want to go back and listen to our discussions with Stephen Rogak on airborne infection spread and Amtahir Sahif on masks just to get some background. The question focuses on healthcare, but is relevant in other fields as well. It has to do with physical labor and masks. When we exert more energy, we breathe heavier, and this potentially can render a mask and or face shield useless. The same problem can happen when people are affected emotionally by the current situation. So if you are not comfortable or at least used to discomfort, you may end up choosing an unsafe option to keep yourself calm. And so the question is, why are we not focusing on using N95s in all areas where physical exertion is occurring and there are confirmed COVID-19 positive individuals around us? Well, let me break this down for you. First off, we know that exertion will indeed lead to more volume of breath being exhaled. And as we learned in the airborne episode, we can see an increase in the concentration of virus in that area if there isn't sufficient ventilation. So, in that regard, the N95 route would be a good choice. Second, as much as an N95 is going to be your best protection, unless you happen to be within 0.6 meters or two feet of a person, like, say, a healthcare worker does with a patient, then the risk of exposure goes down dramatically. You may never need that N95 mask. Moreover, as we learned in the mask episode, you only really need two layers of cloth even if it's from an old undershirt, to reduce exposure to almost zero. A face shield can help in that regard by limiting the exposure to splashes and large droplets. But it must be combined with a mask. It makes sense that people see the N95 mask as the only option to protect themselves from any pathogen, including SARS-CoV-2. But N95s are specialized equipment. They need to be fitted to your face and also used appropriately to be sure they are effective. I've gone through this process. It's not fun. They're not particularly comfortable. But they do the job. If you happen to be in an area where that risk is not necessarily as high and a cloth mask will do, I'd go for that every single time. Now, we've already heard about the studies from Tahir Saif, but there actually have been studies done before that looking at cloth masks and comparing them to N95s. Now, this happened in 2015 and 2017, and it basically showed that they are just as effective when used properly. So if you're concerned about exertion, just remember, a cloth mask is going to give you almost the same amount of protection as an N95 without any of the hassle. And there you have it. I want to thank everyone who asked a question from our Conningsbomb. And I really do hope that what you heard is not only going to help you stay informed, but also calm. And if you didn't hear your question, make sure to let me know by tweeting me at JATetro or sending me an email at thegermguy at gmail.com. If you want to leave me a voice message, just head over to speakpipe.com slash sass. That's S-A-S-S. Head over to the site, turn on your microphone, and let me know what's on your mind. It could be a question, a show idea, or maybe just to say hello. You too can be part of a future SaaS class. Next week, we're going to be talking about the one subject everyone is discussing right now. Vaccines. You can't miss this. It's why it's best to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And then while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps to spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're proudly part of the CuriousCast family and are available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. And be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to Mark Konigsbaum and his book. The award-winning Super Awesome Science Show is written and hosted by me, Jason Tetro. Dela Velasquez is our story producer. And sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. Have a great week. Stay safe. Be calm. And as always, make sure to show them some sass.